All right. Well, as we find our seats, it is good to have you all. It's really cool to see the youth group here. Yep. Have a great time tonight, you guys. And for the rest of you, you're young at heart, so uh, it's good to have you here too. It was. It was good singing. Hey, so we're uh, in Acts, and uh, we'll be getting back into it. Let me remind you um, that we are, there's handouts too, right there on that front table if you want to kind of see where we're headed, um, if you're a note taker type person like me. Um, But uh, let me remind you, the reason we're doing so much review these first two weeks, this is the second week of it, is because it's been eight months (laughs) since we were last in uh, Acts together. And so I uh, wanted to take time to remind ourselves what, what the roadmap is. I, I talked about this last week, but um, when I first moved to this area, I went mountain biking with a friend and thoroughly enjoyed it. And he took me on some trails that were just amazing. And I wanted to go back to those trails, but he couldn't go with me the next week. So I went and got thoroughly lost <laughs> because I didn't have a map. Right, a roadmap. And so I ended up going up this one trail. I thought I was on the right one, and then I found out later it was the wrong one. And uh, it was actually, uh, I found out later from another rider who pointed me the right way to go so I could get home. <laughs> he called, he says, you, you know you were just on what's called Hell Hill. <laughs> just thought that was, again, I brought this up last week, but it's, it's stuck in my mind. Look, if you have the wrong map, you're in trouble. And we have God's word to give us his roadmap, obviously, but as, as we head back into Acts, I want to kind of remind us where we've been. So when we drop back into uh, Acts 4, uh, verse uh, 23, we'll be all caught up and we'll know where we're dropping into. So last week, we um, went through chapters 1 and 2, and I, I reminded you that, look, Acts is part 2 of a two-volume work. Luke, who was not one of the original disciples, but a traveling companion of Paul, so he came into the second generation of the church, really. He, was a, he got all of his information from the eyewitnesses, because he was with Paul for a long time. And Paul, for instance, spent three years uh, imprisoned in Caesarea, which is on the coast of Israel. And so he had plenty of time to interview the actual people that took part in the story of the Gospel of Luke, what we call the Gospel of Luke. And then, and so he wrote that because he was was writing this work for a new believer called Theophilus, and he says, hey, look, I want you to know how things happened. You've been taught this, but now we have a written record to ground your faith, to, to give you certainty about what you've been taught. Right? So this is what's one of the reasons for teach or for for digging into the scriptures is so that we we've heard stories, we've heard people tell us what the gospel is, but we've got the written record so we can read it for ourselves, so it can get imprinted on our minds. And we have that's what I love about Luke and in, in, in both his gospel and the book of Acts, is it is full of historical landmarks. Real people, not just you know the disciples and Jesus, but we also have rulers. And we have locations, and we have different cultural things that are distinct to cities. And so we have so much detail that shows our faith is not myth, it's not legend, it's grounded in history. It's a, it's a faith that you can go and check on. And you can see, look, we've got a faith that is rock solid. 
It's not wishful thinking. It's not that blind leap of faith into the great... Un- no, it's, it's about a real person. When I, when I witness to people or just talk about my, you know, what I believe about Christianity, when they start debating and all that, I said, look, let's just focus on Jesus because Jesus is a real historical figure. He is a man of history that left a major mark, real things that you can check out. And so that's what we have in Luke and Acts. It's, it's all about Jesus and the gospel. But Acts is the continuation of what Jesus began to do and teach. That's right there in the first few verses of Acts. Theophilus, I wrote to you all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. That means Acts is his continuation. But wait a second. In the first chapter, he goes to heaven, right? He's exalted. He's ascends, he ascends to heaven. So what does he mean? Well, the title of this series is Christ Building His Church. Really what Acts is, because the traditional title of the book is the Acts of the Apostles. But it's not really either that either. It should be the work of Christ by the Holy Spirit, who he sends, right, to continue his work. The work of Christ by the Holy Spirit through the apostles in building his church. Now, that's why we don't have, you know, the long titles are like, oh, oh, brother, <laughs> let's just stick to Acts, right? But it is Christ continuing to work. Don't miss that. And so that's why we, we looked at uh, chapters 1 and 2 last week. Um, I, I mentioned Acts 1.8 is a great outline for the book. It says, you'll be my witnesses, Jesus giving his charge. It's the Matthew 28, uh, 19 and 20 great commission charge, just in a different way. And he says, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem. That's where they were at when he said this. He's on the Mount of Olives, which is, you know, right across the valley from Jerusalem. He says, you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's really an outline for the book of Acts. In chapters 2 through the first part of 6, we're in Jerusalem, right? It's all around the temple, and it's, it's all the miracles and all the hubbub and the persecution starts there. Then we see in, in chapters 6 through 9, midway through 9, we are, we are in Judea and Samaria. All right? So then, and after that, we have, with the introduction of Paul, we start moving to the ends of the earth. Peter meeting with Cornelius, who is a Gentile, we start moving out, ge- geographically out of Israel into the ends of the earth. Also, there's two main characters in Acts. The first 12 chapters, the main person is... Peter, good. The found, he was the, the head of the disciples. But then in the second half, 13 on, he comes in earlier, he's introduced, but we see him taking center stage, and that is Paul, right? Peter was known as the apostle to the Jews, and P- Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles, all right? So it's just, it's good to, as we look at a book, I, maybe it's more helpful for me, but I like to have things framed for me so I see the big picture before we get into the details. Also, in Acts, you'll see a lot of, of hurdles being overcome, right? In the book of Acts, we see it starts in, in a Jerusalem around the temple, and the first people to hear, it says they were devout Jews, Right? So that's the first people who, hear, who, are, who are attacked, not attacked, but who are you know, given the gospel. The day of Pentecost, those were to devout Jews. Then later on, we see the beginnings of Hellenistic Jews. Right? In Acts chapter 6, it says there was a controversy in the church because the Hellenistic Jewish widows were not being taken care of. 
because there was prejudice in Israel. Prejudice, there was. The closer you lived to the temple, the more godly you were. Again, I'm just talking about Jewish culture. If you're from Galilee, oh my goodness, you are un- more likely unclean because you were further away from, from Jerusalem. And remember I talked about the, the highway. There's a highway on the coast, an international highway for trade, the way of the sea. Then there was another international highway that was inland called the King's Highway. And there was a connector highway between the two that went right past the northern part of Galilee. And the main city there, Capernaum. Oh, what was Jesus' headquarters for three years? Capernaum. Kind of cool. Jesus was trying to be a light to the Gentiles. Matter of fact, that's one of the prophecies in Matthew. It says that he came, a light is dawning in Ephraim. Ephraim was another word for northern Israel. Kind of cool, right? So, but in Acts, you see that there's this obstacle is being overcome by the gospel. The gospel can't be stopped. That's the message of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem. It ends up where Paul is where? Imprisoned in Rome. But he's imprisoned, but what's happening? Philippians gives us a hint. I may be chained, but you know what? I've got a captive audience. Oh, and by the way, they're the elite soldiers, right? They're the imperial guard. And these, many of these soldiers were from noble families, from the family of Caesar. That's how they got their training as they grew up to get ready to rule. And matter of fact, at the end of Philippians, it says, hey, members of Caesar's household send you a greeting. What does that mean? Romans were becoming Christians, elite Romans. So we start in Jerusalem in Acts, and we end up at, in Jerusalem is what? The, headquarter, the, the capital of the king, Zion, right? The city of Zion. But we end up in Rome, which was the capital of what? The world's empire, right? So we just see, you got to see the, the gospel can't be stopped. Don't miss that flow in Acts, right? It's amazing. But we see it, we see it first, devout Jews in, in uh, chapter 2, Hellenistic Jews in chapter 6. Also, Stephen, he was, most, he was a Hellenistic Jew, the first martyr. So Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew. Then we see the Samaritans in chapter 8. Now, what, what's the deal with the Samaritans? The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were considered half-breeds. They were considered uh, heresy, heretics. Just you have to know the history. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll talk more about that. But that was another hurdle that had to be overcome in the minds of the Jews. And when the Samaritans heard the gospel, they started speaking in tongues. And they're like, oh, my goodness, the spirit, they're saved just like we were. Oh, what does that tell us? They're saved. They don't have to become Jews. They have to become followers of Jesus, saved by grace, not by works. Then we have a eunuch. A eunuch in the second half of that chapter. What's, what's the deal? Why is, why is that eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch? One, Ethiopian. Two, he was a God-fearer, so he believed in the God of Israel, Yahweh. But he was a eunuch. Eunuchs were not allowed to be in the temple. Do you know that? According to Levitical law. And yet, he became a Christian. Matter of fact, he's like, he was reading from Isaiah 53 when Philip comes up to him. I mean, talk, where we, we had John MacArthur here. What did he preach on? He called it the first gospel, Isaiah 53. It, matter of fact, in Isaiah 53, we all have all the aspects of the gospel in there, and it has more in that chapter than in any other chapter in the Bible. The most concentrated form of the gospel is actually Isaiah 53. And that's what the Ethiopian eunuch, he was going, I'm reading, it's like, he goes, who, else, who is this guy? 
And Peter, Paul, or Philip says, oh, let me tell you about him. He says, well, I believe. Oh, here, here's some water. Can I just get baptized here? And <laughs> just amazing. You understand, the eunuch, when he became a Christian, to a Jewish person, that would be like, what? He's fully incorporated into the, into the people of God. There's no barriers that get in the way. And then after the, after the eunuch, then we have also earlier too, we see in chapter 6, verse 7, and also in chapter 9, we see the beginning of priests and Pharisees starting to believe. Who's a, the key Pharisee that we're like, oh my goodness. When he believed, it's like, whoa, what in the world? He's actually proof in 1 Corinthians 15 that their resurrection is true. Paul. He was the ringleader one of the ringleaders of the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Chapter 8 starts out with four verses talking about Paul. He became the henchman of the Sanhedrin to persecute Christians. So we see Pharisees, and it says priests in chapter 6, verse 7. says, and many of the priests started to believe. The gospel is going after. It just can't be stopped. We can't miss it. Then we have Gentiles. Not only a Gentile, but he was a Roman centurion. So not only was he a Gentile, he was Roman. Who were the Romans? The oppressors of Israel, right? And he was a centurion, meaning he was what? He's one of their leaders, one of their oppressive soldiers. Not just a Roman because he was born that way. He was a centurion. And what happens? Peter has to get one, have a vision. Uh, remember, he has the vision. And we'll get, in all of this, we'll get to it when it's time but we have to see the flow of the gospel. I talked about this last week. It's a, the freight train of the gospel can't be stopped. We, and if you miss that in Acts, you're not reading well. And that's my job to give you these highlights to help you see. It's amazing what happened. The, the gospel rocked the known world in a very short time. And that's what we have in the book of Acts. It should just cause us to be so fired up to see, wow. You know, sometimes we look around saying, man, it's just so hard. I just, man, it's so hard being a Christian, and boy, hardly anyone believes, and we're the only ones, and read the book of Acts. Oh my goodness, the gospel can't be stopped. There's times where it goes through lulls and all that, but it can't be stopped. I mean, uh, we had a a men's Bible study this morning, and uh, we zoomed in a couple guys, and one of them, uh, he actually couldn't this morning, but it's Jean-Luc Pellutri, and he's in Italy, you know, so we've got the gospel all the way over there. But you know, it's funny, he's closer to, the, to you know, Jerusalem than we are. And here we are on the other side of the world, right? The gospel can't be stopped, folks. It, there's hurdle after hurdle in the Jewish mind that's being overcome in the book of Acts. And again, when Cornelius becomes a Christian in his household, and they start speaking in tongues, the sign of the Spirit's presence, the overwhelming, it was, it was proof positive to the Jews. And like, uh, this is the movement of God. See, they had to be convinced, too, because they were like you and I. The apostles, the early church, they were people just like us, with their flaws and mistakes and sins and all that. And we'll see that in Acts chapter 6. There was prejudice in the early church. And so the gospel had to show them, look, this is for everyone. This is for people of every tribe, language, and nation. So these are hurdles, and you'll see that in the book of Acts. As the gospel goes out, there's more hurdles and more prejudices being overcome. It's amazing. And so those, those are some highlights. Just as you're reading it, just pay attention to it. I'll bring it up. But it's just as we're getting this roadmap, the lay of the land, just watching the gospel explode. 
And again, it begins in Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to read through it like we did last week. But what is Acts chapter 2? The beginning, it's the beginning of the church. But what day was it on? Pentecost. J- the Jewish religious calendar shaped their year. They had seven religious feasts, three big ones. But one of the seven, an important one, was called Pentecost. And it meant the, the, fir- the feast of first fruits. Their harvest would start. There's several harvests, but this one, it, it, what you do is you're supposed to bring an offering from your first fruits. And it was a sign of thankfulness to God, but also trust. Because if it's at the beginning of the harvest, you're hoping what? There's more to come. So it's an act of trust, but it's also a thanks God. The harvest is coming. Isn't it funny the church began on the feast of first fruits? The first fruits of what? The harvest of, the new, of this church that was beginning. And it began right there in Jerusalem, right, right there in the capital city. And we just see things happening. This first sermon. Well, for the first of all, there's this amazing miracle. People are drawn saying, what's going on? They hear, their, hear the gospel, the mighty works of God being proclaimed in their own languages from around the world. And some are saying, we need to know more. And then we also have some people saying, they're drunk. They're just a bunch of drunk people. So then Peter gets up. And by the way, that's a huge sign of the gospel and its power to transform lives. Why is that? When it's Peter standing up. What did he do in the past? What did he just do a few weeks before? He denied Christ when he was challenged by a little servant girl. Oh, I don't know him. Boy, he calls down oaths from heaven. He chickened out. Not here. It says that he stood up among the apostles and he, he explains the miraculous. Remember, that's another thing in Acts. You'll see miracle, but then message. Power and preaching. Miracle and explanation of why it's happening and who it should point to. Very important to see that. There's, and it's always, and you'll see in his preaching, they're always talking about witnesses. We were witnesses of these things. And, and you, many times you say, and you know about this Jesus and what he did. It was not done in secret. And matter of fact, we'll look at today's, where we're at today in chapter 3. This miracle, contrary to many of the miracle workers, quote unquote, today in our culture, you know, this one was done publicly. Publicly. And it was, there was no way you could disprove it. There's, it was done, it was radical, it was immediate, it was public, and it was permanent. And, and you just see that, there, that it always was to draw attention, not to Peter or not to Paul, later miracles. It was always to give them a stage to do what? Preach about the Christ. And if you'll notice this, folks, when you look at his sermon here but in the sermons all the way through the Acts and this in the book of Acts and in other places, you have to understand they don't hold back on indicting the listeners. Something we don't, you know, we talk about evangelism today, right? I was raised on the four spiritual laws. Many people became Christians because of it, but here's the deal. What does it downplay? The harsh side of the gospel. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It sounds like a sales pitch almost. If you look at what happens in these sermons, he says, you rejected him and you killed him, you crucified him, you colluded with the Romans, and yet you still have a chance. Grace is available. 
right? So why would, we, why would we fall at our knees at the cross, at the foot of the cross, unless we know we're in trouble and we need what he offers, is his forgiveness. It's amazing. So the book of Acts has just got so many things for us to, to wade through and to learn from and to be inspired by. So Acts chapter 2, we see the Pentecost. We see this, uh, the miraculous happen. We see Peter's sermon. He's, he's quoting from Joel. This is the day of the Lord. He's come, and, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he talks about Jesus being the, the messianic one, the one who has come, the one that they've been waiting for. And by the way, you rejected him, and you're in trouble. <laughs> and then they say, the listeners say, again, I'm very much abbreviating. What did they say? What are the listeners, when they heard all this, what did they say towards the end of Acts chapter 2? <laughs> what do we do with this? What do we do? <laughs> and that's appropriate. That's good. They're asking, and so then he answers, repent and be baptized. Repent of your sins, of your rejection of the Christ, the one that had just been crucified. Don't forget, this was maybe what was 50, the Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. When was Jesus crucified? On Passover. It's less than two months. And they're in Jerusalem, so it probably happened within a half a mile to a mile of where they were standing. He says, yeah, this is what happened. You're all complicit, but you know what? You can still call out to the Lord for, for, for forgiveness. Repent of your sins and call out to him. And what happened? It says that 3,000 that day did so. 3,000. What a, what a response, right? And, and they were baptized right then and there. Again, if you were to go to Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, right, there's all these mikvahs, ritual cleansing baths. There's tons of them. People say, well, how can 3,000 get baptized in one day? Well, if you saw the mikvahs, it wouldn't be hard because the way they would do is they'd walk down the stairs into the water and walk back out. But here's the deal. Now they were saying we're being baptized in what? In the name of Jesus the Messiah, the guy who said he was God. Don't forget, the location is key because where is this? Right, the temple is right there. What is the temple the center of? The worship of Yahweh. Jesus says, I'm Yahweh in the flesh. They crucified him for it. And now we have people, 3,000 of them, walking to these mikvahs on that day. What do you think happened to those people? Some of them were probably kicked out of their homes. That's why the next part of chapter 2 says the church was united, but it was caring for each other. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, breaking of the bread. But it says that people were caring for each other's needs. Well, if you're being kicked out of your home because you're being called a heretic, well, what, what happens next? Well, the church embraced everybody and helped each other. So look at the response of these people. The gospel just overwhelms them, and we just see radical changes happening. This new community right away embraced the new believers, and we're helping each other. It's amazing. Don't miss what's happening here because these are radical social changes because in that culture, community is everything. You don't want to be kicked out by your family or the synagogue. We see this in John chapter 9. His, the parents of the blind man who was healed, they, when the Pharisees asked them, hey, who healed this man? They said, well, ask him. He's an adult, and it's, there's an explanation of why they did it. says they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. 
It was that, you have to understand, their group think was way different than American Christianity, which is very, we're very independent, right? Very independent. And to, that's why we have to talk so much about unity and how we're connected to each other as Christians and how our bonds as believers are way more important than blood bonds, than bloodlines, right? Because we will be with each other for eternity. I'm looking at my eternal family. We'll look a little bit different because we'll have eternal bodies. Thank you, God. <laughs> this one's falling apart. <laughs> but, but this church, look at what's happening here. Don't miss the, the radical changes going on. They're forming a whole new community within this Jewish context. And it's all centered around Jesus Christ with the leadership of the apostles. And that takes us to chapter 3. And this is now, now we're into where we left off last week. And this is the beginning in Jerusalem of threats to the church. There's several threats over the next few chapters. And this first one is from false religion. All right? So, so we're going to look at the miracle that happens. Then we're going to look at the, the preaching or the explanation of it because Peter has to explain how it happens. And then we see the reaction of, uh, from the Pharisees or the religious leaders. And I call that false religion. Because the moment that Jesus died, rose again, and ascended to heaven, and what happened, what happened to the worship that was happening at the temple? Was it true worship anymore? No, not if it was to Jesus Christ. If they were depending on their status as Jews, they were not saved. Because we see in Acts chapter 4, which is part of 3, it's all one event, what, is, what does Peter say to the Sanhedrin, the high council of Israel, the, the religious council. These are the smarty pants. He says there's no other name under heaven by which men will be saved. And boy, he just, that statement just excluded every other religion out there, including the Judaism of that time. It had to be, you had to be saved by the name of Jesus Christ. Our gospel is exclusive. Now, it's offered to all. We're supposed to preach it to all, but you have to surrender to Jesus Christ. Man can't make up his own religion. If there's a God who's bigger and more mighty, he decides. We don't get to decide. He's not a God of our own making. And when Jesus came and said he was God and proved he was God by rising from the dead, like he said he was going to, he's the one who tells us he's king. Again, another, again, these kind of statements in American culture where, oh, that's your truth. You can believe what you want to believe. No, you guys, this, <laughs> the perspective on life in the scriptures, it's with a king telling us, look, I'm God, and here's what you must do. Right? Now, he's a loving God. He's compassionate. But we have to be firm in declaring this Jesus Christ. There's no other gospel. There's no other name under heaven by which men will be saved. I jumped way ahead, but let's go through and see where this is actually said. So we're in Acts chapter 3 now. We have the miracle in verses 1 through 10. So let me just read it to you. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple, faithful Jews, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, about 3 in the afternoon, I believe. And a lame man from birth, we find out later he was over 40 years old. So he's been, he's been lame, unable to walk for 40 years. Not, oh, I pulled a muscle and I can't walk today. Everyone knew who this guy was. 
All right? And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms from those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and, and as did John, and said, look at us. So there's a lot of people going into the temple at the hour of prayer, but he says, look at us, focus in here, something's going to happen, I want you to know. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Boy, is he ready, he's going to get something he did not expect. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. He's probably thinking, oh, great, right? That's what I need. But he says, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What was, what was Jesus known as when he came, you know, on the, on the day of, of the triumphal entry? People were saying, well, who is this guy? It's Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, we know who he is. But they weren't settled on who he was. And now Peter's saying, oh, this is Jesus of Nazareth. In his name, get up and walk. All right? And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And listen to this. Immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. And to prove it, to prove it, and leaping up. Okay, he's been lame how long? 40 years. How did he get to the temple? He was carried there. And now something happened. It wasn't adrenaline. He had enough strength to not just stand, not just walk. It says, leaping up. He stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them. Now, I've had injuries where I've been, you know, out of commission. And, and to get back up and going, I had a, you know, bad knee injury at one point, and it took me a while to recover. And then when I started, did I get up and start running right away? No, my leg had atrophied, and it takes time. You've, many of you have had injuries like that, and you have to go to physical therapy and build it back up. What? This guy hasn't walked ever, and he, he enters the temple with them. This is a person who'd been there, been around there a lot. It says daily he would go there. He was a known figure. That's important to know. This is not done in secret. Okay? I'm spending too much time on this. But this is exciting. And all the people saw him walking and praising Peter, praising God. Don't miss that either. Again, I'm going to talk about this, some of these you know, miracle healers and stuff. We don't hear about them a lot anymore. But boy, were they big in the 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s a little bit. You're about some now. Oh, you got to, these people, it's amazing what God's doing. And I always say, where's the proof? Because the miracles in Scripture were public. You couldn't deny them. They were repeated. They were permanent. And it was, people just didn't know what to do with it. And we'll see that even here. It was proof that, some, that God was moving. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. He had a reputation. That's what they knew him. Asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And they were praising God, not the healer. Not like today's miracle wars. Oh, you got to go see this person and that, but they're so powerful. No, God is the one who gets the glory in these miracles. While he clung to Peter, we see something happening here. 
And all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. It's just outside the temple because there's a big, a big area around the temple that was part of the temple mount where they could have discussions and teaching, and that's what's happening here. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? We're not the ones who did this. Well, we did it, but we're not the ones who get the credit. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. I'm a Jew. I believe correctly. We're at the right place, but listen to this. This is Peter. I'm sorry. That's what Peter's essentially saying. He's giving his credentials about his beliefs, but he's qualifying. And he says, he, this God, glorified his servant Jesus. Now, people are going, huh? Wait. Everyone knew what happened. Remember, when he was crucified, it was during the Passover. They, Josephus tells us in that time period, there were probably about six million people there. So when Jesus was crucified, it was also done on the public area where everyone could see. So this, <laughs> he's, he's talking about this Jesus, and they're going, oh? Uh-oh. And they're right. This Jesus... Whom you delivered over. I'm in verse 13. I'm sorry, I have to stay with you there. This Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Did you just hear what Peter called Jesus? He called him God. And he's saying, you colluded with the Romans and you rejected the true God. You wanted a murderer. Who was the murderer they asked to be released? Barabbas. And then you murdered the righteous one. Boy, he's not, he's not holding back on him. You killed the author of life. Oh, but by the way, whom God raised from the dead. And, and again... Why is that so important? The tomb they could have walked to. It was the tomb of who? Joseph of Arimathea. Was he known? He was on the Sanhedrin. Everyone knew who he was. They were the most famous guys in Israel at that time, the Sanhedrin. They were the leaders of Israel. And he gave up his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And they could walk to it, and what was, what was the deal with it? Empty don't, don't, don't miss what's happening here. Amazing. You, I'm now in, in uh, uh, verse 15, he says this, to this we are witnesses, martyrions. What does that sound like? Martyrs? Because in the future, to be a witness for Jesus would lead to your death, so it became synonymous with being dying for your faith. But we are witnesses. We are witnesses. Now remember, the apostles, they, when they replaced Judas in Acts chapter 1 towards the end, the replacement was chosen. He had to have certain credentials. What was it? Do you guys remember that? He had to be an eyewitness. To, he had to be there from the beginning of his ministry and heard his teaching and then saw his crucifixion and his resurrection. We're witnesses. And they declared the resurrection from the dead. You guys, even today that sounds crazy. But it's got to be about, that has to be on our lips, about our, that's in our evangelism. 
We believe in the risen Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, who's reigning and who will return. We have to say that. He died on the cross for our sins, but don't forget to say he was buried and he rose again. That's, he's the only person to conquer death. And he lives on. That's why we have hope. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Don't miss that. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. He couldn't be stopped. To this were witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name. Where's he saying this? He's saying this on the Temple Mount. Don't miss the geography. Jesus, in Isaiah, God says, I am the Savior and there is no other. Peter is saying, who is the Savior? Jesus. You have to believe in his name. In his name, verse 16, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and you know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Proof. There's proof there. <laughs> wow. Verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Oh, grace is entering in, isn't it? Still grace. We, we, there might be indictment, but that's important. But there's now, hey, there is also grace, folks. Here's your chance. There's always chance. But, verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. This is not, you know, an idea of, out of nowhere. This is scriptural. Psalms says that I, he wouldn't let his Holy One see decay. Talking about the resurrection. Isaiah 53, again, you just go to that chapter and it just blows, it, you just read it, and just, it just blows up with the gospel. It was all promised, predicted, prophesied, and planned. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, meaning he's there now, until the time for restoring all things, when he restores, when he comes back, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses, okay, he's going to Moses. He's going back. He's showing scripture after scripture. He'll start showing Jesus is the one. He fulfilled all the credentials necessary for the Messiah. And more because they didn't expect the Messiah to come and die. And he's, that's, that's so much of the gospel is explaining. He was supposed to die. It was planned. It was predicted. It was prophesied. Like my peas, yes. Moses, verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses promising, hey, watch out for a greater one to come. Because Moses, in their minds, he was the greatest leader, even above David. Why? Because not only did he lead the Jews out of slavery, out of Egypt, but he also helped deliver what on Mount Sinai? Scripture, Torah. He was the greatest leader. 
Moses said this, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Boy, he's, Peter is laying it down. He's, he's, not, he's just laying it down. Jesus is the one. You have to be saved by him. You have to have faith in him. Moses says you need to listen to him. And if you won't, you'll be destroyed from the people, kicked out of the family of God. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. He's the one. The scriptures have been pointing to him. Verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed, Genesis 12. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. <laughs> How's that for seeker sensitive? He called them wicked. He'd indicted them. But he's been offering grace all along, isn't he? If we would recognize our sin, fall on our knees, repent, what does God do with that? That's a sign of, what does it say? That he opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. If we would humble ourselves and, pre, and reach out to cry out for salvation, do you think God will reject that? Absolutely not. Amazing. A sermon. Here's a sermon. He's explained this amazing miracle, and he's got the guy right there. I mean, you have to deal with this. Chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, now we have a change here. We've gone from miracle to explanation, and now we have persecution by the false religious leaders. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And here's Peter saying, oh, Jesus rose from the dead, and you need to believe in him so you can have eternal life. So they're, they're really mad. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, it doesn't matter, they were arrested. And the number of the men, verse 4, came to be about 5,000. 3,000 on Pentecost. And it says now the men, the number of men, were about 5,000. So this early church started with 120 in the upper room. And then we have 3,000 on that first day. And then we don't know how much longer this is, but it's a very short time. We have more believing so that there's the number of men is 5,000. So what could that be, the size of the church now? If there's equal number of women, 10,000. What? Guys, don't miss this. The guy they're proclaiming, this Jesus had been branded a heretic and blasphemer, so much so that they killed him. They let the Romans kill him. A humiliating death. A public trial, three trials. They were a sham. But the people cried out, we want the murderer instead of him. We want to work with the Romans to kill him. And now this community is declaring him God in the flesh, and it's now at, we'll say about 10,000 people. Guys, don't, don't let, don't, 
Don't miss this because it's such a familiar story. That's the danger of knowing these stories that we're so used to them that we, we miss the impact of them. Be overwhelmed because it was overwhelming. Be encouraged. And now there's persecution, but the persecution does not stop the growth of the church. Matter of fact, in history, persecution proves to do what to the church? It grows it. Because people who are watching persecution happen, or even the persecutors themselves, <laughs> Paul, see what's happening and see the response of these believers and their faith and their response to their persecutors, preaching to them, calling out to them, for God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Didn't Jesus say that on the cross? Right? Now, were they forgiven? No, they weren't forgiven, but that offer of forgiveness was made available. Right? And, and throughout the centuries, when people have been persecuted, see Christians who respond with boldness and courage, and yet joy and compassion and mercy to their persecutors, people go, huh? Why do they have hope? even though the world's falling on them and they're just, they're being killed. What is this? It's because there's something real here. Matter of fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, we have really the gospel in, let's go there, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read it together. I want you, I want you to see, because towards the end of it, we have two people that just, their transformation is, you just can't explain it away. So here's the gospel. Paul talking to the Corinthian church that he had founded. He's writing back to them. They had problems. They were a messed up church. It was great because they're just like us, right? So he's writing them. This is one of the letters, and here it is. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. Ooh, I want to hear what this is. Which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. I taught you well. You got it right. Uh, you heard it right from me the first time because there's false teachers coming in. And they're messing up the gospel. He says, no, what you heard from me was the right one. Okay? And in which you stand, meaning you're saved. And by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain, meaning you didn't really believe in the first place. Okay? So that's all his prelude. Now, here it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He's using technical language, rabbinical language about teaching, official teaching. All right? So here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, meaning it was told that's what he was going to do, and he fulfilled it, right? That he was buried, so he really what? Died. The Romans were expert killers. I, I say that. I have to emphasize it's in scripture, one. But two, there's cults. There's the religions that deny that. He really died. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Oh, also prophesied, right? So it was, it's, it's in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. Who's that? Peter, all right? The guy who denied him, he appeared to him. Hey, this is going to be the leader of the church. I have to restore him. Then to the 12, the 12 apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. What? So, by the way, some people say, oh, it was just, they were having hallucinations, or they were, they, were so, they were so delusional because they were hoping for a resurrection. Folks, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, were they expecting a resurrection? 
No, matter of fact, they heard the report that there was a resurrection, and, and yet they didn't believe. They were walking away from Jerusalem, and that's when Jesus showed up to them. And the minute he broke bread after explaining the scriptures, they're like, it's Jesus! Boof, he's gone, right? So they ran back to Jerusalem, and they met with all the apostles, like, oh my goodness, he's alive. They weren't expecting him to be alive. Even the women who went to the tomb weren't going there hoping he's alive. They were going there to honor him by putting more, finish the embalming part. <laughs> but here they appear, he appeared to 500 at one time. Amazing proof. One of the proofs that can't be explained. How did they all have this uh, experience? And, and, and also, too, it wasn't like they saw clouds. Oh, that looks like Jesus. I see the shape there. Or, oh, that painting, it's bleeding. Oh, no, it was a real person. What did he do to prove he was real? He, he touch, here's my scars. Touch them. He threw one on the side. Thomas, go ahead, right? And he, he ate with them. He talked with them. They touched him. For how long? For 30 seconds? 40 days. That's almost six weeks. <laughs> and how do we know it was real? Because the transformation of this early church, or with the, these Jews, they changed their day of worship. From what day to what day? Saturday, seventh day of the week, the day of rest, to Sunday, the first day of the week. Why? Because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. They changed their day of worship. It doesn't mean they stopped going, doing Jewish stuff on, on Saturday, but their, they had, their day of worship was on Sunday. And we see that next. We'll see that. They, they changed how the, the importance of the temple. Well, we don't have to really go to the temple anymore. We do some of our you know, offerings, but the sacrifices don't count anymore. You've got to understand, these are momentous changes. And they can only be explained if the resurrection was real. Wow. But it's not, we're not done yet. Look what else it says here. Right? It says, and now I'm in, in uh, verse 6, it says, I'll go back to that. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You can go check with them. They're still alive. Go interview them if you want. Though some have fallen asleep, so it's some time period afterwards. Right? Then he appeared to James. Oh, why is that important? James was his brother, half-brother, who thought he was crazy before the resurrection. We see that they mocked him. His brothers mocked him. At one point, the family came to take him away. Right? He's acting shameful. He's calling himself God. Whoa, he's bringing shame to our family. What's going on here? And yet afterwards, James said what about his brother? He's not crazy. He's God. He called his brother God. <laughs> he preached and proclaimed that, and he was known as that. He was called James the Just. He was righteous. And yet, and, but he was killed eventually by the religious leaders. They took him to the top of the temple, threw him down, and then made sure he died at the end by clubbing him to death because they hated him so much. But you can't explain James' transformation unless the resurrection is real. He got to talk to his brothers. As a matter of fact, it says that his family was there in Acts 1 in the upper room with them. Why? Because they met their brother and saw, oh my goodness, he's God. We were wrong. Forgive us, and I believe in you. <laughs> Don't imagine what that would happen in their family dynamics. You think it would change a little bit? <laughs> 
But it's not done. He's, done. He's still giving us some more proof here. Then to all the apostles, again, they went from being total chickens to being world changers. Don't miss that. Okay, they ran before the resurrection, and then they ran to persecution after the resurrection. They ran from it, and then they ran to it. Something happened. It's called the resurrection. And then it says, um, I keep missing my place here. Oh, verse 8. Last of all, and this is Paul writing, as to one untimely born, he was not not a follower of Jesus during the life of Jesus, nor immediately after the resurrection. He never was around that Jesus. Okay, remember, the mark of a true apostle from according to Acts chapter 1, is that they were there at the beginning of his ministry all the way to the end in his resurrection. Now, did Paul ever meet the resurrected Jesus? We'll see that in Acts chapter 9, right? He was knocked off his horse, and he's like, uh, Jesus said to him, well, what are you doing? He goes, uh, 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 <laughs> is that you, Lord? He goes, yes, this, it's me, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> I've been wrong. But we have to understand, don't miss his transformation, he went from being a, a, the, the henchman for the Jewish religious leaders to persecute, torture, imprison Christians. He was even going out of Israel to go get Christians. That's Damascus. He was on the road to Damascus. That's outside Israel. It's in Syria. That's how much he hated Christians. Again, he was part of the, one of the ringleaders of the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. We'll see that. You can't explain his transformation unless what? The resurrection is real. He became the greatest evangelist, church planner, and writer of scripture. How do you explain that? Oh, it's real. And that's what Peter is preaching here. He's explaining how this happened to this man. It's in the name of Jesus. This is real, proof positive. This man was healed. These, the transformation in the lives of the apostles, the life of Paul, the life of Paul, you can't explain unless the resurrection is true. You can't explain this man, this back here in Acts chapter four, this lame man being healed, unless this the name of Jesus is powerful to heal, and only God can do this. Many believed, and then you know, and I'll, and I'll stop here. Yes, I'll stop here and we'll, we'll, can, we'll go into where we're at next week because that's where I wanted to end. So, so we have him saying, this is what happened. Many believed and now they're going to be arrested for it and I'll leave you with that. And then we'll be all caught up and we're ready to get back into Acts. I won't have to do all the review anymore. But this is exciting stuff. The church, God, the gospel is exploding on the scene. It's amazing. Amazing to see what God can do. But don't forget, these aren't stories, ancient stories from the past that are just, oh, those are nice legends. Those are feel-good folk stories, you know, that just should make you feel good. And they tell them to your kids so they get good values. You guys, this is real history. Sir William Albright, an archaeologist, he went about, he was, at, he was not a believer when he set out to disprove Luke and Acts. And as he started looking at all the people, the places, and all, he goes, oh my goodness, Luke is a historian of top first rate. He became a believer because of the certainty that Luke lays out for us in Luke and Acts. And, and it's overwhelming. Don't, don't miss this. Get excited. Read ahead. Read ahead. Learn. 
Yeah, I constantly, you can, I can never preach to you all that I'm learning, right? Pastor Lance will tell you the same thing. We just read and we see all this stuff. It's so hard to know what not to say. It's just exciting. Read ahead. Learn yourself. Don't just learn from me. And then watch God connect dots and inflame your heart and realize, wait a second. The gospel started in Jerusalem and it spread outside of Israel to the modern, to that world. But folks, here we are. 10, 10 time zones away from there, almost exactly on the opposite side of the world. We are at the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. We are evidence of the gospel. So in the midst of turbulent times like ours, and we feel like, oh my goodness. Oh, you, no matter, you know, oh, what the government, it's Christianity, oh, we're so in trouble. It depends, you know, I hear people talking, but guys, the gospel can't be stopped. It doesn't matter who's in charge. There were rulers back then during the time of, of Paul. We see him in Herod. We, we'll see him in Acts. He dies. He was, a, he was a vile man. This is the son of Herod their great. But this is a vile man. He couldn't stop the gospel. He, he killed John the Baptist, right? But that didn't stop the gospel. Jesus was killed. Did it stop the gospel? No, he rose from the dead and he's reigning and he'll return. But he's left us a job, right? You excited for it? Nero. He tried to stop Paul, did he? No. I love Acts 28. It ends with Paul getting out of prison, and it just it doesn't record the rest. He eventually dies, but it couldn't be stopped. That's the point of Acts 28. It's supposed to keep going. We're another link in the chain. Don't miss what God is doing because he's put us here on purpose. We'll see that in Acts 17 when Paul's talking to the Athenians, and he says everyone is exactly where they're supposed to live, at the exact time that they may reach out to God because he's near, because he might make himself known to him. But here's the deal. We're, we're God's agents to help those people know about him because we're here now with the gospel. We're gospelizers. We're evangelists, right? So live it, tell about it, talk about it, and, and let's see what happens, right? So let's pray, and uh, we'll, we'll end up with that. And This is exciting. We could talk too long here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the words we have in scripture. That just should, just excites us. I get so tied up in, in, in the things of today and things I have to do and different worries about kids and all sorts of things that can just help me or just make me lose sight. And, and Lord, thank you for your word that reminds us there's something bigger that we've been called to. Yes, we're supposed to take care of our responsibilities, but we are people with purpose. God, you've called us to a mission. We're part of the, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, sent by God the Father because he so loves the world. And his son came, Jesus came to die for sins, to be that atoning sacrifice that whoever may believe in him would have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And he rose from the dead after being buried. And it was a public, just earth-shattering resurrection. And because of that, we have hope now. We have hope because the Lord is resurrected and we will be resurrected with him. And Lord, we help us to be so excited about that, excited about you. Lord, help us to just be people who just bleed hope because of you, Lord Jesus. And uh, so, Lord, we, we just thank you for this, this book and, Lord, what it can do in our hearts to excite us about the gospel and to just 
be people of hope to people who are hurting, to, to a world that is just topsy-turvy. We get to talk about the Jesus who gives hope and help and life. So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our time together, and we just uh, pray that you would glorify yourself in our lives, in the lives of this church, and in all churches that proclaim your name. And uh, so, Lord, be glorified. And Lord Jesus, come quickly. (laughs) In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.